0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton. A new president has been elected in Mexico. His name is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And to a degree, he was elected by as the president of Mexico by some people for the same reasons as President Trump was in the United States. He was a candidate brought in because citizens were tired of dealing with the same old types of politicians who didn't serve the needs of the constituents. But he also comes in at a very unique time in U.S.-Mexico relations, as Trump has been pushing the envelope for a better deal, as he sees it, on NAFTA, the three-way trade agreement of North American countries that also includes Canada. With more on what to expect from Mr. Lopez Obrador, we are joined on the phone by Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, associate professor in the School of Policy at George Mason University, and also by Christopher Sands, senior research professor at Johns Hopkins University. Guadalupe, Christopher, great to have you with us.
1: Thanks. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, So, Guadalupe, uh, what is the reaction in Mexico to having uh, the new president?
2: Uh, well, there's a lot of optimism and hope that things are going to change, that the new president is going to change the whole, uh, the whole atmosphere in Mexico, and he's going he's to fight corruption, and he's going to have a good trade deal with the United States, and, it's gonna, and, and the president is going to stand up if, if, um, if President Trump continues his offensive um, approach to Mexico.
0: Has it been how how significant of a shift is this to have uh, uh, President Lopez Obrador coming into office in terms of the shift between uh, the last president President uh, Nieto and uh, and President Obrador?
2: Well, it's a it's a significant shift uh, because Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, um, uh, president of the left, uh, his ideology and his approach to politics, to the economy, has more to do with nationalist politics, with with a focus on you know production, uh, internal production, and support of the agricultural sector. Maybe more involvement of the state in the energy, in the energy sector, revising contracts that were provided into a context of the passage of energy reform by two neoliberal, administ- well, more neoliberal administrations. So definitely this is going to be, you know, an interesting process, an interesting period of Mexico's history with more state involvement and increasing social programs and more support of the national markets. And that wasn't, you know, the, the, the past approach, and we're going to see very important changes taking place and different type of negotiations with the, with the neighbors of the North.
0: A lot of questions, Chris, uh, deal with NAFTA, and obviously he's coming in at a, at a very unique time uh, where the NAFTA negotiations uh, continue to to play out. Uh, how important is his role going to be in terms of that piece uh, as we move forward?
1: Uh, well, I think it's actually going to be very interesting. Uh, I don't follow uh, Mexican politics as closely as Professor Carrera Cabrera, but uh, what's struck me is the ways in which lopez obrador is a kind of mashup of donald trump on the one hand and justin trudeau on the other hand like donald trump he's come into office championing those people that nafta left behind where and and being a nafta critic and being critical of an establishment in his case in mexico city that enriched itself in the post-nafta period but kind of put the country second, and he wants to put the country first. So in that sense, I, I, I hear echoes of Trump. But Justin Trudeau, with his progressive approach to trade policy, inclusiveness, uh, working with women, concern for the poverty in indigenous communities, in that sense, I hear Lopez Obrador sounding like Justin Trudeau. So the question for me is, how, how will Lopez Obrador Pursue NAFTA? Does he does he take a Trumpian view and maybe even propose to Trump a bilateral deal that satisfies their core constituencies? Or does he stay trilateral and try to bring Canada in as an equal partner? The Trudeau government did a great job with Peña Nieto trying to reach out and develop a partnership and try to keep Canada and Mexico uh, together, coordinated in the face of Trump's uh, provocations and, and challenges. I don't know whether that alliance will hold, but to me that's one of the most interesting things about the Mexican election and what it means for NAFTA. Guadalupe?
2: uh yes uh it's it's interesting because many uh many critics and and the international media has of course they they have a, of course compared donald trump to andrés manuel López obrador uh as a matter of fact andrés manuel López obrador puts uh mexico first and as as professor said but he is a national pragmatist. He has talked about an, a reconciliation, and he says he's going to he, he's going to govern for the rich and the poor. Therefore, he 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 doesn't he, he does not necessarily will will end up with the with a collaboration with Canada and the United States. But he's going to negotiate better, probably putting probably the energy sector on the table, which is something that didn't happen before, and this is something that the United States and Canada have been portraying as part of North America it's interesting to see how Lopez Obrador has started um, you know this new period with respectful relationships with both countries but let's see how it works Uh, of course Canada and Mexico uh, have had their respectful relationships, very productive ones. The, the tensions have come from the United States and Mexico, especially when when Donald Trump arrived to the presidency. It's too early to say, but definitely there are going to be changes and probably some tensions because, of, of course, he's a nationalist and he will put Mexico first.
1: Uh, Dan, yeah. that makes me think about something uh, just listening to that uh, that presentation, and that is that as w- we go forward. First, we know that Lopez Obrador won't be inaugurated until December 1. Mexico has this long tradition yeah. tradition of transition. But during that period, one of the things that impressed me about Lopez Obrador was his choice of a NAFTA negotiator. He's identified somebody named Jesus seade who is pretty well-known in Washington, served for about a decade at the IMF, was the original Mexican negotiator for the WTO, or I guess you'd say the Uruguay Round Agreement of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, and then became a Deputy Director General at the WTO. He has said in in a couple of his interviews that he's known Robert Lightizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, for more than 20 years and actually likes him and thinks he's kind of got a good sense of humor, Mm -hmm. all of which is kind of an interesting X factor. Sometimes when you have an outsider figure like Lopez Obrador, you think, well, they're just going to tear up the rule book. They're not going to know how things work. His choice of an AFTA negotiator suggests to me that that he's pretty serious about about coming at this professionally and knowing what he's doing. And uh, it's risen, uh, Lopez Obrador, in my estimation, as as being a much more serious figure and and perhaps not just the crazy populist that uh, some of the media have had him out to be. 844-942-7866, Eight
0: four four nine four two seven eight six six, or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Guadalupe, when you look at the, the Mexican economy right now, what is the state of it at this moment? And you've mentioned a couple of different elements, but what are the most important things that, that he needs to focus on in terms of the day-to-day operation of the country, but also you know improving the lot for the people of, of Mexico?
2: Well, there are so many things to, to talk about. I would like to I would like to mention two important points: the agricultural sector of Mexico, the deterioration, and he has been talking about that. That is connected to cultivation of poppy seeds by by some peasants in, in poor regions of Mexico, La Guerrero. So he has talked about focusing on the agricultural sector, and maybe this is going to be a very important part of the renegotiations of NAFTA. He really wants to boost the agricultural sector and provide people an opportunity to develop uh, better in this sector and not having. To migrate to other parts or internally. Um, of course, uh, Mexico has not has 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 stopped you know migrating to to the United States, but it's not because the economy is better. It hasn't grown. Uh, it has grown on an average of 2.3 percent in the past um, year since 1994. But at the same time, uh, the the population has grown, and and the, the the economic results of of the of the neoliberal model of the NAFTA period having really mediocre and 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 some. People have not been, and many people have not benefited from, 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 this model. So the agricultural sector is important. Also, the revision of the contracts, um, that were assigned, uh, in, in this new phase of Mexico, of course, of, uh, of, of the energy reform. That is another issue that will have a specific priority, both in the negotiation of NAFTA probably and overall. What is the Mexican state role is going to be? And this, I mean, the role and the resources that can be achieved because of this new involvement also will be used probably to, um, I mean, to create the social programs that he's promising, how he will have this universal coverage, uh, for, for, I mean, health coverage for, for Mexico's population, the help for the, for, 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 for for people uh, of older age and, you know, this this important um, uh, social policy that he's going to implement.
0: I'm sorry. Finish up. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, no. That's those are the those are the aspects that I would like to open for discussion because we have so many things to say.
0: (laughs) Is is there an expectation that he can get all of those things done?
2: He has to get all those things done uh, to some extent in order to to be successful because these, these things are are a priority um, particularly I mean he has promised to to provide all these I mean to, to expand the social network and the social policy network he has he has he has promised to revise the contracts there's a lot of expectation about that and and the more in, the, the, the further involvement of of the of the state in in energy in order to boost the agricultural sector and other sectors that are in it. This is this is very important. But he's going to do it with the entrepreneurs, with the business sector, and he has given a very um, clear message uh, by in, in the beginning uh, when when we knew that he was going to become president, that he is not going to govern just for. For, for the poor, or he's gov- who just governing to for a, for for a sector of the society. So he's going to do all that, and he's going to do it with the business sector. This is important. He has to he has to have success in each of the of the areas that I mentioned in order to have an overall successful presidency.
0: Which then th- that means, Chris, that that the NAFTA negotiations, and obviously as you mentioned, uh, the the people that will be in those meetings uh, representing Mexico, it becomes very very important. Important uh, for the Mexican Mexican economy moving forward,
1: I, I think so. And something I would add, um, really, with regard to assessing Lopez Obrador's potential to achieve what he wants to achieve, is his party um, was in coalition with two other parties. He was heading a party called Morena, uh, or nicknamed Morena. It was a national uh, reconstruction movement party. But he was in coalition with a labor party and with a social encounter party. Those three parties command now quite surprisingly, a majority in both the Chamber of Deputies and the Mexican Senate, giving him uh, effective control of Congress. That dramatically uh, improves his odds of getting things done because, as in the U.S. system, it's the Congress that that passes legislation, that passes budgets, that, that follows through. And this is the first time that a Mexican president enters office with a solid majority of his party people in the Congress since Ernesto Zedillo, almost 20 years. So it's a very dramatic shift, but it's one that gives Uh, lopez obrador a little bit of extra muscle and i think at the negotiating table with the united states and canada uh they'll they'll have to take him seriously because if he makes a commitment his odds of delivering are that much higher
0: guadalupe does uh, does the president have the these agenda items laid out in terms of what is the most important element for him to be able to tackle first
2: well, he, this is this is a, this is a very interesting this is a very interesting uh, question. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of expectation uh, by the business community of what he, what he's going to do. So his first, uh, I mean, his first address was was directed to the middle class and to the and to the business community. And so he talked about energy reform. He talked about the the relationship with the with the business sector and NAFTA. I believe that NAFTA today is. Probably a priority because this is what we are uh, we are hearing more often in the in the in the in the media. And he uh, very, I mean he 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 met with President Enrique Peña Nieto. He's going to be very, uh, I mean he's going to be ready to, to collaborate with them. He's going to maintain the the, the same line. He, he he has given this this um, design that he's going to respect and he's going to be in, in in close communication with those that are negotiated NAFTA during these five months, and he's given like a message of continuity. But I think NAFTA today is probably like a crucial point to to send a message that he can work with the business sector, that he can work with his partners, and he has given this this message, you know, frequently uh, in the past few days.
0: 844-942-7866. Or if you like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Joined on the phone by Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, of George Mason University, Christopher Sands, of Johns Hopkins University. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. When a new president comes in, Guadalupe, there is obviously optimism uh, that this person is going to be able to make effective change. But it, it sounds like from what you're saying and some of the reporting that there is there is even a little bit more of a greater level of optimism. That, uh, that 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 uh, President Lopez Obrador is going to be able to to move forward on a lot of these agenda items.
2: That's correct. That's correct. It's always good to to be optimistic. Um, I'm going to start with optimism, but but we run in the into the risk of of, um, of not achieving. Yes, I think that he has a lot of uh, challenges. I, I believe that security is one of the main challenges and he has not been able to provide like a clear message of how he's going to deal with that because the economy economic growth development and and the possibility that he would have to achieve his economic agenda it's also tied to the security agenda of course he has a lot of things to do we have the corruption issue where we are really we don't really know what he's going to do he's talking about reconciliation he's talking about not going uh, and not not chasing after uh, Enrique Peña Nietos, um, you know, cabinet or people. I, I'm, I'm really not sure about that. Of course, there's so many problems in the country that need to be that need to be addressed. That, of course, uh, I mean, the optimism can get. I mean, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, it has some grounds, but but this is going to be very very difficult. Of course, also he has Donald Trump as his counterpart, yeah. and his erratic behavior in the past can. Can, can cause a lot of tensions. We will see. Uh, they started in a very respectful way, but we'll see how he's going to respond uh, to Donald Trump if Donald Trump uh, starts again with the with 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 his attacks uh, against Mexico, and it's it's possible because you know he has a base of support that he has to he has to appeal to and i mean they are asking for a wall and he's probably yeah. going to continue saying that mexico is going to
0: pay for it well and that was going to be my next question to you is what has been in the run-up to this election what has been the uh, the stance of the new president on this idea that president trump wants to have a wall on the border between the u.s and mexico
2: well he has been- Powerful, but at the same time, he has been direct. He's, he has said it's not very clear. He has been. He has said Mexico is not going to be a pinata of the United States. Um, he has. He has. He has stand up, but he has been careful not to to put that on the center of the agenda. I think He's. Gonna, he's, he's. He's. He's waiting. He's waiting because Donald Trump has not has not attacked him directly. He has had a strong stance, but not as strong. He has been he has been very careful. Let's see. Uh, it's something that that we cannot anticipate unless we see them both acting. Um, it's difficult to know. But it seems to me that if he wants also to become effective, he has a mandate from his constituents, from the voters of Mexico, to 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 take a strong stance in case of an offensive um, statement or 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 a continuation of the attacks. And Mexico is going to build the wall. I mean, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. We're going to build the wall. Let's see how it works. But I think he does have a mandate from his constituents, from the people in Mexico who elected him to. Re- really uh, reply and to reply in, in a very strong manner.
0: Chris, where are we on the negotiations right now overall?
1: Well, I think we've made some progress on some of the the, the more technical issues. We've got a lot, uh, I think about nine chapters out of some 32 that have been identified or wrapped up. But the real thing is we suspended the, the conversations after the G7 meeting, summit in Charlevoix, where Donald Trump and... Um, and justin trudeau had a bit of a falling out and so talks have been on hold till after the mexican election the president on july first same day as the mexican election formally got a three-year extension of his trade negotiating authority so carrying to 2021 giving him lots of time to negotiate uh, negotiate an agreement and bring it back to congress but we don't expect that there'll be an agreement in place uh, before the next, con- the next U.S. Congress meets. So it's going to go after the midterms in the U- United States. And that kind of raises a question. That, what do voters think about all of this trade turmoil, particularly with a trade fight with China that is ramping up? And, and are they going to send to Congress in the midterms in November in the United States the kind of people who will support this trade policy, or will they try to pull uh, Donald Trump back into check? Um, so far, the markets have actually seemed pretty bullish on the potential of this relationship. During the NAFTA negotiations, uh, the peso, the Mexican peso, took a real hit, kept falling and falling in reaction to every uh, negative tweet that we heard from Donald Trump and signs that perhaps a deal wasn't possible. But since the election, the pesos rallied, and I think that's a that's that's been a pretty positive sign that at least on the market side, they're looking at uh, high potential for some improvement in the relationship, which but is s- good sign.
0: But still, to be able, as you said, having you know a portions of this done, we're still well off from from actually having
1: a, a finalized agreement at this point correct? Well, yes and no. I think a lot hinges on what Donald Trump ultimately decides is, quote unquote, a better deal. Uh, He ran to fix NAFTA, but NAFTA's critics have not had a sort of like a a manifesto or an agenda of specific changes. He he has the ability to declare what he ends up with as being a better deal and maybe selling it to his constituency. The U.S. has made some very uh, maximalist demands for changes, things that the Mexicans and Canadians don't accept. And NAFTA itself has a lot of, not to be uh, you know mean, but NAFTA has a lot of very dry and relatively uncontroversial, boring chapters as well. <laughs> right. so we carry it all over and just say, well, this isn't important, it's not contentious, let's just carry it over. We could do a deal relatively quickly, I should think. But it really depends on whether the U.S. is willing to give on a couple of big demands, for example, getting rid of dispute settlement, uh, particularly for investor dispute settlement, getting rid of... Uh, the uh, procurement uh, provisions that say you have to open your procurement, but you can't do by American. Yeah. If, he, if the president gives a little bit on those things, he can have a deal. The question is, does he really want to give in and does he really want to deal that badly?
0: Thank you both for joining me today. Christopher, thank you very much for your time. Guadalupe, appreciate your insight. Thank you both. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.